This is Focal Point for Thursday, the 18th of February 2010. Online Collaboration 2.0. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Gihan. How are you going? I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm looking forward to this podcast because it's, a, it's about what we're doing uh, in putting together Focal Point. So we're talking a little bit about some of the background of that, but also looking at it in a bigger picture. So in an earlier podcast, we talked about personal productivity online, uh, which is being more productive when you're using some of the online tools. And we promised that uh, this week we'll talk about group productivity. And it's really we're talking about online collaboration, so how you work together on projects um, using the Internet. And it's becoming a much more common thing nowadays, and there's too much to do in just one podcast. So today we'll talk about the principles of online collaboration. And then in our next podcast, we'll talk about some actual tools and techniques that we use. Yeah, so in talking about this, Gihan, there's uh, you've got a section in our podcast notes about the people in our particular neighbourhood. So who are the people that we might be collaborating with? And you've broken it down into four groups of people. Yes, that's right. I was thinking about Sesame Street, that song, Who Are the People <laughs> in Your Neighbourhood? And uh, the, the reason I actually broke it down into these groups is because you may not even think about the fact that you could collaborate with all these groups of people. So the obvious ones are customers and clients, so the people you work for. The second group are suppliers, the people who work for you. Then there are internal collaborations with colleagues and team members, so the people you work with, and even competitors, so the people that you work against, if you like. And you can collaborate with all these groups of people in various ways. And this is not just true online, you could equally have collaborations with these sort of people offline, and I'm sure you do. It's just that the internet has now made it easier to work with them in some instances, especially when they aren't um, local to you. They may be in another city, another country, the other side of the world. So we're going to talk about these groups first before we talk about the principles of online collaboration. And I guess I just want to make the point that there really doesn't have to be a distinction between these groups when you start collaborating with them. So the tools and the principles that we talk about later this week and in our next podcast apply equally whether you're dealing with competitors or colleagues or customers and suppliers. And in fact, even as we were putting together the notes for this podcast, we realized that some of the things that could be talking about dealing with clients are actually the same as dealing with colleagues. So we're going to make the distinction, but realize also that the distinction is not important when you actually get down to the nitty-gritty of using the tools. All right. So did you want to kick off with the first group of people in our neighborhood, our customers and clients? Yep. Yep. And that's the one that lots of people are now starting to think about. And it's no longer about just getting a job from a client, working away at it privately for a few weeks or months or years, and then sending the finished product back to them or even having a few revisions along the way. That used to be the way that business ran. And it's really because unless you are co-located with a client, it's very difficult to work with them closely. But now there's no longer the case. So the client can be working with you every step of the way so that your finished product is actually a collaborative effort between you and your clients and customers. So for example, Chris, you, you just moved into a new house 
and you did some collaboration with the builders and architects along the way. That's right, yeah. So uh, when we were going through the design phase, we would have a weekly meeting, a face-to-face meeting with our architect, but um, between those meetings, we would correspond by good old-fashioned email uh, to have plans and even some 3D simulations sent to us electronically. And that way, you know, we'd often go away from a meeting with a few questions that the architect had for us. And then having those materials uh, available to us uh, electronically meant that we could consider those questions and then at the next face-to-face meeting we would um, have had the time and opportunity to think about and come up with answers for those sorts of things. So that was just using plain old-fashioned email. And that was a few years ago. It was 2007 when we were going through the design phase. But because some of those documents were really quite bulky as attachments, um, they might have been better off using something like Google Docs, which can allow you to can now allow you to share any kind of uh, document online. That might have been a better way of doing that. But back then, it was plain old-fashioned email. Yeah, and something like Google Docs is something that I've used, and I think we may have even mentioned this in an earlier podcast, that I have used for some of my bigger clients, even in the contract negotiation phase. I've created a document online, which is my understanding. They go in and they edit it themselves, and they add their little revisions to it, and we go back and forth. So rather than having a document that you email back and forth, you have one document in the cloud that we collaborate on at the same time. Fantastic, yeah. The other example is uh, more and more where, the, where we've got online projects. Um, it's easier to collaborate. So I've got a client at the moment, and she's building a membership site for one of her corporate clients, and she and I are pretty much building the website together. So I'm building the infrastructure. She's building the content. We're kind of working together on that, and that's become more and more feasible now. And that's because this is something that is in the cloud. Her website is uh, an online a production, so that means that you can both work on it together. Yeah, that's a good point, Chris. I think that this sort of online collaboration is more obvious and easier to do and easier to see in front of your eyes when we're talking about products or services that are created out of bits rather than atoms. So we're talking about things that are electronic like blueprints and um, plans for your house and documents and websites, and it's less likely that you're going to actually build the house collaboratively online because we're building it then out of atoms. But you can still use online tools to help you when you're creating physical products. So you've got things like calendars and scheduling tools when you want to arrange meetings. You've got online teleseminar, webinar tools, Skype conference calls, those sort of things for running the online meetings. You can share documents in the cloud as we talked about, and you can use plain old-fashioned email as well. Yeah, that's right. All right, so that's the the customers and clients category. And the flip side of that is when you talk about suppliers. So if uh, you have A being a client of B, then the flip obviously is that B is a supplier of A. So all of the things that we spoke about with regard to clients and customers also apply when you're talking about suppliers. Something that uh, we can talk about in addition to the the client side of it is a couple of new forms of collaboration online that have become popular since Web 2.0 has come about. And the first of those is outsourcing of projects. So a good example of that is a website called elance.com that we've both both used for getting people uh, suppliers to do work for us and collaborating with them online. And there are a couple of other uh, sites like guru.com and rentacoder if it's related to software development. And then there's also crowdsourcing. So that's not where you engage perhaps in a one-to-one relationship, but rather where you collaborate with whomever 
is willing to uh, contribute to your product. So Wikipedia is a great example of crowdsourcing for online editing of an encyclopedia. Everyone's familiar with that. And then there's a, an entire domain of software development called open source where anyone is free to contribute source code to the development of a software product, a pro- project. Yeah, Chris, I've noticed that with sites like Elance, which I've been using for a number of years now, in the last couple of years, and, and I've started no- noticing this recently, they've actually enhanced their service so that it's easier for people to collaborate online. So in the past, I used to just work with the provider by just with email back and forth attachments, but now they've made it much easier to use a shared workspace, a shared message section. Um, it just makes a facility, they've just facilitated the whole collaboration process to make it easier for people to work online, um, even on one-on-one projects where in the past we would have just been emailing files back and forth. So that's clever. So they've gone beyond just the matching clients with suppliers uh, for finding each other to a service that facilitates that collaboration. That's good. Yep. All right. Well, uh, talking about facilitating collaboration between uh, team members, that's the next group of people in our neighbourhood, our colleagues and team members. And the two important principles to consider here is that uh, with our collaboration 2.0, as we've called it, teams aren't always co-located. You're not in the same office or even in the same city or country anymore. Uh, You can be scattered across the globe, which means that uh, you've got to accommodate perhaps differences in time zone, language and other sorts of customs. And team composition can be more fluid. So uh, whereas you might in the olden days have uh, started out with a whole lot of team members at the beginning of a project, that would have stayed fairly static throughout the lifetime of the project. But nowadays it's uh, more possible to co-opt people into the team even if they don't work for the same uh, same manager. So, for example, with joint ventures, cross-functional teams, mastermind groups, uh, subgroups and subcommittees, then... Uh, all these, this, the sorts of changes to the composition of the team becomes more fluid. So a couple of examples of this in action. Uh, so for our podcast, the Focal Point podcast, we use a Google Doc to prepare notes that we are using right now uh, for this uh, for uh, discussion points to mention during our podcast. Uh, your web host provider, Gihan, I believe, offers 24-7 support by using three different eight-hour shifts around the world. This is becoming more and more common where it's like businesses are always open simply because they can run in different parts of the world in different time zones so that they can cover the whole 24 hours. Uh, but what it means is that they have to have a bit of a um, passing the passing the baton from one group to the other. And it's, it's not going to work if you've got a file that you keep passing around. It's only going to work if you've got a, some sort of shared database online that everyone has access to. And that sort of thing means that that sort of online collaboration can work. Yeah, I've noticed uh, one of the help desks that I use in my work, uh, depending upon when I've contacted them, I either get someone in uh, West Coast US or Europe or um, India, depending upon the the time of day that uh, the case is being handled. Um, So yes, they seem to be working in this three, eight-hour shift uh, window as well. Um, You've also mentioned that authors can work on books together. So I guess in this case, that's where you're collaborating on a shared document, the the manuscript itself. I think that, again, in the past, when authors have collaborated, they've just had a document, somebody's had the master copy, and that becomes a copy that all the revisions get made into. But now, with something like Google Docs, you can do it online. Um, Other examples are online communities. 
So there are a number of online communities now where there's where people are collaborating within them, but also there are people. There doesn't have to be a single administrator. One of my friends and colleagues, Alicia Curtis, runs a membership site called the YGen Club, and she's just Alicia's a master facilitator and collaborator. And one of the things that she's done is she's got a volunteer in each state of Australia to be in charge of. The people within that state, and making sure that the community, the sub-community within that state, is active and vibrant. It doesn't mean that they exercise control. It just means that they take some responsibility for seeing that the group's active. Right. So she sort of divided up things according to geographic location, but it's still uh, managed collaboratively online. Yeah, it totally makes sense because these are people who are living locally, and they know what's happening locally. They've got an interest in what's happening locally, so it absolutely makes sense for them to be, if you like, a state ambassador, and for them to look after the people in their local region,、uh, without having to have any sort of control over it. But they have some control over the the management of that online community. Right, and is the Yjen Club is that using Ning's community technology? Yes, it is. So Ning's probably still the world's biggest. Um, online community site for creating your own communities, and, and and all of the Ning communities that you create, you can create a big community, but then individual members within it、um, can create their own little subgroups. So if they want to collaborate on something specific, they can do that, and they can create、uh, a private group which they can invite other people to join, or they can make it completely private just to collaborate on their own things. Right. Great. And the organisation that、uh, is my main client are a UK-based R&D organisation, and I collaborate with their staff members on a daily basis. Now, because of the confidential nature of their work, it means that some of the public cl- online collaboration websites aren't、uh, can't be used. Be, the the organisation are too protective of their information, so it's all behind a firewall on their corporate intranet. So the way that I access that is using what's called a, a VPN, a virtual private network, which means I have secure access. To those, to their online assets, and then once I'm once I'm sort of accessing their intranet, then things like wikis and、um, uh, help desks and and issue trackers are all available, but they're all behind a firewall, so they're all.、Uh, Sort of hidden away from prying eyes, but that means that I can collaborate with people just as though I was working side by side with them, just making use of information sharing resources that are on the, the company's intranet. And that, that story's got an interesting history, hasn't it, Chris? Because you first started working for this company when you were living in the UK, and then you've continued working with them since you've come back to Australia. That's right. So it's been almost ten years now that I've been working for this organisation from Perth. Even though they're based in the UK, so the technology to facilitate that has been around for、uh, for a decade. And during that time, I've seen them developing、uh, services inside their intranet. So things like wikis and、uh, blogging and community pages have all been set up on their intranet, which makes it even easier for me to collaborate with、uh, colleagues based in the UK and also in Switzerland and the US. It's a global organisation. I think an interesting thing to note is that many organisations, as you say, have been doing this for quite a long time, but they've had to do it using these virtual private networks,、um, and sometimes quite a big infrastructure cost to set up that sort of secure, confidential network. And more and more. 
that's being opened up now so that you don't have to have a big budget, you don't have to have an IT department. There are some of these online tools that we're going to talk about in the next podcast, which allow any business, any small business, non-profit organization, even individuals who want to get together and collaborate on a, on a particular project can do that with a very low startup cost of time and money. Yeah, I think the, that opportunity is, raise, is, is rising, Gihan, because, as you say, for large organizations who are very protective of their, their data, they're quite reticent to release that out into the cloud. They want it all behind their firewall and only allow secure access to it. But the cost of being able to provide that sort of thing is coming down, and that's sort of tempting large organizations to make use of it. Yeah, yeah, it is. And we'll talk about some of the tools that are available in the next podcast. But let's, let's finish off our group of the who are the people in your neighborhood. The last group are your competitors. And you may think it's a little bit odd to think of your competitors as potential collaborators. And sometimes you hear about this uh, with big names. Now, there's a bit of a rumor that Apple is going to replace Google as a search engine on their iPhones with Microsoft's Bing search engine. So there, there are Apple and Microsoft uh, traditional competitors coming together. And so sometimes you hear about that, but even that, that that is news because it is competitors coming together to do business. But in fact, competitors do this all the time. Every association is essentially a group of competitors who are coming together to build their own businesses and to build their industry as a whole. So competitors collaborating happens happens all the time. Yes, that's right, because they have a, a shared interest in particular things, so they might not be collaborating directly like the Apple and Microsoft example that you gave, Gihan. You know, they might be attending trade conferences and that sort of thing where they're giving presentations about the sorts of work they're doing or they're developing standards together for their particular area of interest. Um, and it's nowadays that they can, instead of having to meet face-to-face, they can start to do these sorts of things online. Yeah, so I, I know a number of organisations. In fact, one I can think of at the moment, an association that I've had an association with for a long time where they used to fly everybody around the country who was on the national board twice a year and just recently they've started using webinars for that because it's so much easier, it's so much cheaper and it's so much faster and so they're using some of these online collaboration tools like webinars and online forums and Google Documents to be able to do what they were previously doing face-to-face and with printed documents or or just um, moving attachments around. Yeah. So we've covered uh, the people in our neighbourhood Uh, Did you want to talk about the guidelines for online collaboration now? Yeah, let's do that. So what we're going to talk about here are six broad guidelines for online collaboration without getting into any of the specifics of the tools and techniques that we'll use, but we'll um, cover that in the next podcast. But here are really things to to think about when you're considering uh, future collaborations or to, to enhance the collaborations that you might already be doing. So let me start, Chris. Let's do them in turn, and I'll start, and we've got six of them. So the the first one is one that we've mentioned already, which is use the cloud. So the cloud is, in, in other words, have documents online on the Internet rather than having private copies of them. And and the main reason for that, which we've already mentioned, is that you're working on one shared document, not working with multiple copies of the same document. And there are systems that allow you to do to merge documents together. And if you've used things like Microsoft Word, you see it's got those merge features. But the more people you have working on a document, the harder that merging becomes, especially if you don't decide who's going to be the person who has the master version of the document. And in this faster world, it becomes even more important that you can do those sort of mergers quickly. And the simplest way to ensure that that happens is that everybody is working on the one document. 
Great. Uh, the next point is show your face. So with online collaboration, it's harder than face-to-face -face meetings or face-to-face -face collaboration. I can certainly vouch for that because you don't get to meet the people face-to-face. So uh, allow people to be human and show their personality. So if you're working on a website where you're able to uh, create a profile, then add a photo, write on each other's walls, change the color, color scheme so that things are personalized. Allow people to let their personality show through. Yep. Yep, that's right. Okay, so third point is one that's a challenge for me, which is let go of perfection. So don't try to control everybody in the collaborative team. Don't try to control the perfection of the output or the quality of the output. Not to say you should go for low quality, but my rule is go for 80% right, 100% complete. In other words, better to release something and have it out there with in a useful way that people are making use of rather than trying to work um, to, to get it perfect. Now, that's true all the time, but I think it's especially true in a collaborative effort because there's more temptation for individuals to say, no, there's one, I need to make this last change or we need to make this last change. And, you know, that can always happen and people have different opinions and, it's, you know, it's almost impossible for the final product to be something that, any one person would be 100% happy with, and that's just not going to happen. So just let it go. Like just get it good enough and then let it go. Great. Well, one of the ways of um, making sure that quality doesn't uh, go down to that 20% rather that you get the 80% right is to work to a plan. So if this is a one-off project that's got milestones and deliverables and deadlines, make sure that everyone who's collaborating on it knows and understands those particular milestones. This is especially important if you've got an ad hoc team who haven't worked together before. Um, and it's also important to make it clear because everyone might not be working uh, or everyone isn't working nine to five in the same office at the same time. So you've got to give people the freedom to manage their own work style, but by giving them a plan to work to, they know their roles, responsibilities and the results they're supposed to deliver. Well, you must have practical experience with this, Chris, because you work in a company where I assume for a large part of your day, you're in a completely different time zone from them, like six to eight hours time difference. So you don't even have the same people there at the same time if you want to ask a question by uh, sending an instant message. Most of the time, there's not even an option available to you. So you, you have to work to your own discipline, but presumably you've got um, results and deadlines set for you. That's right, that's right. There's only a, a small window of uh, hours where my time zone overlaps reasonably with the working day of people in the UK. They're the people I work with mostly. Um, so as a result, the, the ability to um, set up a, a direct conversation with someone, an instant message, is pretty slim. Uh, and also, even during those that small window of opportunity, people are usually already booked to have meetings uh, on their own work site. So as a result, it's really important to have uh, a schedule uh, to work to because then, you know, I've got something, I've got goals and deadlines to work towards, and that means it makes it easier for me to manage the product uh, that I'm working on. Yeah, and I guess that leads on to the next point, which is that you've got your plan, so that we said work to a plan, but the next thing is set some ground rules. So it, this is about executing the plan rather than setting the plan, and just be clear that everyone understands how this collaborative effort is going to work. So not just what we're going to produce at the end and the and the intermediate milestones along the way, but how is it going to work? Are we going to have a democracy where on certain issues, majority wins, or do we say that somebody's got expertise in this 
this area. Therefore, if there's a dispute, they have the they have the deciding vote, if you like, and we will have input into the decision, but we'll let them make the final decision. And so there may be it, it may make complete sense for that sort of thing to happen. So, for example, Chris, when my friend Brandon and I were co-authoring a book recently, um, he said that because being a lawyer, he's very used to editing other people's documents and adding to other people's documents, and he's, he's very used to doing it in their style. So he said to me, look, just write it in your style, and then the bits that I write, I will it will be my content, but I'll copy your style, which is great because it gave me the freedom to write as I would normally, and I knew that Brandon would be happy to adapt his writing style to match mine. So it ended up with the book looking like it had been written by you know, one voice rather than us having to negotiate later on adapting to kind of find some compromise style. Absolutely. All right, the last point that I'm going to make is about thinking globally when you're collaborating online. Uh, you're not going to be co-located with uh, a group of people when you're working on a project together. They're going to be scattered across the globe. So that means that you're going to need to take into account differences in locale, and that might mean things like their languages that people use. They might be speaking with you in English, but it might not be their their native tongue. Uh, they're going to be in different time zones. I've had calls from a help desk uh, following up on an issue I've logged at 2am in the morning because they haven't noted that my time zone is GMT plus 8, even though I sometimes, well, I usually emphasise that even though it's obvious from the case notes. Um, and things like currency and customs are also going to be different. So if you're talking about money, make sure that you're in an agreed currency. So think global. Yep, great. Okay, so where do we go from here? So in the next podcast, we're going to be talking about, as we said, some practical tools and techniques and websites and software that you can use to collaborate, to collaborate more effectively online. But even before you get to that, I think there's some questions that you might think about in terms of collaborations that you might already be doing or that you might be thinking of doing in the future. And I remember a few years ago, a client of mine in South Africa, actually, he said to me, gee, if we lived in the same town, there's just so much stuff that we could do together. And that was at the time before many of these online tools were available. And I'm just wondering whether there's somebody in your life or in your business associations or your personal associations where you might be saying that same thing, gee, if, uh, if only he or she lived in the same town, We'd be working so much closer together. And I just think that the distance is not so much of an obstacle anymore. So if, so if there is someone like that, maybe you can take that barrier away. And you can deal with them even if they're not local. Right, yes. So think about the sorts of things that you could easily move into the cloud. So get started now. Yep, and I think that the easiest way to get started, and we've said this in past podcasts, dip your toe in the water. So just if you're not used to some of these things, start collaborating online. So even if it's as simple as working on a Google document together, it might be something that you might think, oh, well, it's just as easy to pass the attachment back and forth to make revisions. But just for the sake of the exercise, why don't you go to Google Docs create a document and work on that online just to see what it's like or get somebody to do a small job for you in Elance or go and edit a Wikipedia page that you've got some expertise in and just see how the process works. Yeah, and to sharpen up your productivity skills, go back and listen to our earlier podcast, 20 Tips in 20 Minutes, that talked about personal productivity, some of which relates to precisely the tools that we've talked about today and are going to talk to you about in our part two of our Collaboration 2.0 podcast. Yep, so stay tuned for that. We'll be back next time. Speak to you then, Gihan. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. 
you can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.